welcome to Hoo Hoo Hail Season 2. Isn't that crazy? We uh, got together to do this, you know, a whole nother trip around the sun. Yeah, Jeff, I never thought that we would actually get here, just given everything that's happened over the past several months. The Big Ten initially canceling the season, but we're actually here. And as of 5.38 p.m. Central Time on a Friday afternoon, kickoff for Illinois versus Wisconsin is still supposed to happen in a couple hours. Well, that's crazy, right? Like we literally did the preview and you did the preview of the Big Ten basketball tournament. And for a basketball football podcast, those are the two sports, right? So the last time you really got together and thought about recording was when you did the season preview, I guess the tournament preview. And that literally was like a hour by hour scenario, right? Like it literally Rudy Gobert walks out there. He's sick. The whole team nerd commish pulls him off the court and then it doesn't happen. Yeah. And I remember that day, it was a Wednesday. And I think earlier in the afternoon, I remember this really clearly. I was on the treadmill. You actually had your flights booked because you were going to fly into, I think, Chicago and actually drive up with me to Indianapolis for the weekend so we could catch the weekend part of the tournament. And you said, hey, I've been hearing some stuff on the news. I'm not sure if it's the safest to travel. And I remember getting really upset with you initially because I was like, he just doesn't want to come and blah, blah, blah. And I was on the treadmill sweating it out because I was kind of mad at you, just getting ready to watch the IU game. The IU game actually happens. um, And that's where Fred Hoiberg from Nebraska, um, that's their coach, just looked awful and, and looked really sick on the sidelines. And that's when the Rudy Gobert news came out. So much happened during that game. And that's when the NBA canceled and that's when I got back to you and said, okay, Jeff, maybe you had a point. Wow. I, I'm really glad that you brought that up because that's going to be one of those trivia questions because I guess I had just you know, blocked it out of my memory that even that that happened. But actually, several games were played and IU did play. That's mm-hmm. so crazy in the Big Ten tournament. I had thought I had totally forgot about sort of that was the was that the Wednesday night and then they played Wednesday and Thursday or just Wednesday? Nope. Thursday was canceled. Um, So yeah, I think they didn't decide until Thursday morning or so that the games would be canceled. And so Indiana was actually the last team to win in the Big Ten tournament. And so we actually won the entire Big Ten tournament. Right. It's it's what we always say, like, you know, if no one gets to play, everyone's tied for first. I Mm -hmm. use national champion, which is a good time to talk about our I don't want to jinx it by saying it's like kind of ill-fated, but our the official title of this podcast being Who Who Hail a Championship Podcast. So are we for season two, do you think we like lean into it? We we keep it? Um I, I think we have to, right? Oh, we totally have to. I'm not so sure if nine Windiana makes sense because that means that Indiana will go undefeated this season, but I mean, strive for the stars, right? Um, Who knows what will happen? I think everyone's very, very up on Indiana, though. I think I was listening to Dan and Ty's Friday UFO. I kind of missed the uh, nautical theme, the pirate. Oh, yeah. I like that one a little bit better than the UFO theme. But the UFO theme, I mean, I like that they do themes and they've really upped the number of podcasts that they're doing on Solid Verbal, our favorite podcast. Um, But they were saying that even though hashtag nine Indiana might be hard to achieve in a season with only nine possible games for the Big Ten, 
um, they were saying that the the nine Windiana spirit persists. Those that that was Dan and Ty's words. They I think the Big Ten team that they were most excited about, at least from the East, was uh, Coach Tom Allen's Indiana. That's awesome. That's like music to my ears. And on that note, Jeff, for our listeners, since it's been a while, let's just give them a quick recap of who we are and what we stand for. So I will go first. I am Kathy Chong. We joke that I am the only Indiana football fan in Chicago. That may or may not still be true. I don't know because that I haven't had the chance to, to scope out any of the bars to see if people are there ready to watch football, obviously with the pandemic and, and stuff starting to shut down again. But um, yeah, still excited, still very optimistic about IU and really ready to root for them this season. Um, Jeff, remind folks of who you are. So I'm Michigan Jeff, and I guess I the way that I describe my fandom, and we'll get to the podcast, but the way that I describe my fandom is the word pathos, and pathos being, as Kathy, you know, you know, um, me, I I guess the last time that we saw Michigan play, I think that's right, the last time where we've been talking a lot about sort of last times um, here on the season two podcast opener but the last time that i saw michigan play i was like uh i'm not gonna go to this bowl game it's gonna go poorly <laughs> um i don't want anything about it and and you know the media one of the things that gives me pathos is the whole sort of media hype wagon about michigan and you know you've been texting me articles and i'm like i don't want to read them but that <laughs> hype, that hype wagon was in full swing the month before the alabama game and I was like, no, there's no way. And you saw me. You saw me. Like, I think it was 30 minutes before the game, 45 minutes before the game, right? And I'm just, mm-hmm. all right, it's time to suit up. And so yep. then I put on sort of every single piece of highlighter yellow gear I own. And I walked to the game. And they even gave me some hope, you know, for the first quarter. I don't even remember. First or second quarter, there was a little bit of hope. And then... Nick Saban just shellacked us and we lost by a lot. And that was like, well, why did I do this? Why did I get dressed? So I think similarly for this podcast, you were a little bit worried. I think actually it's all coming back to me. I was saying, I don't know if I want to do it. I don't Mm -hmm. know. And then the pandemic happened and we never sort of, we were thinking there might not even be a big 10 season, which would be my motto for the cancellation was, well, Hashtag, at least you can't, we can't lose to Ohio State if there is no Ohio State game, <laughs> Galaxy Brain. Um, but here we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so one thing that I wanted to address um, is why we're doing this. And I think a lot of our favorite podcasts, a lot of the commentators ha- have this little bit of struggle um, with, you know, all the job losses, all the unrest, all the sort of overall unhappiness, the pandemic happening around us, a lot of us are thinking, well, in w- we're putting sort of students at risk. What are the um, what are the circumstances, you know, that we're operating under and why we're still doing this? And Kathy, I'd like to ask you, um, before we dig into our podcast notes, um, since you've been recording a podcast through the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, And, and, you know, you've had people on, you've had, you know, a mix of subjects, you've been recording. I just want to hear a bit more about sort of, one, before we get into the sort of why we're doing this, how that experience has been like, like all the reps that you've gotten 
recording a podcast um, and, and how that's been for you. And two, how sort of people in general you've been following. I've been on a media blackout with sports, just too sad. Um, but that lifts tonight with this recording and with the games. Um, but, and you haven't, you've been sort of watching. So the two questions for you, I guess, one, tell us about sort of all the wonderful podcasting experiments you've gotten. And two, with all the sports media consumption that you've consumed over your co-host um, since the Big Ten tournament cancellation, which is also my cancellation personally, um, mm -hmm. how all the people in the orbit have kind of handled this question. Yeah, those are great questions. So I'll start with your first one. Um, for those who don't know, our listeners, um, I actually do a, another podcast called Hoosier Heartland that focuses on, you know, kind of all sports that are tied with Indiana. So if you think of, you know, 24 sports, one team, um, that is what we focus on. So we cover football, basketball, but we also did a lot of softball, volleyball, anything that would really come up that was relevant, we would cover. And I actually co-host that um, with a set of very awesome, funny, amazing twins named Ben and Robbie Malcolmson. So I just wanted to give them a shout out. Um, they've been great co-hosts and we've had a wonderful time. And, you know, it's interesting during the pandemic because you always wonder, is there anything to talk about? And for a while, when I was kind of consuming sports media, I was shocked at all the creative stuff that people came up with. I mean, I was reading articles about where, you know, like certain jingles for sports were written and why they were written. You read about marching bands and how they're feeling. There were a bunch of articles about mascots. So people were really taking this time to dig into things. I think the most popular thing I saw was a lot of countdowns of the greatest sports movies of all time. Um, but in terms of us and our podcast, we did do a sports movie podcast. So that was super fun. Um, but this was really the opportunity to get a chance to kind of know athletes on a more personal basis um, while they weren't so busy preparing. I mean, they're obviously preparing on their own, working out on their own, but they didn't have, you know, mandated practices, all that. So we had a wonderful opportunity for some time to get to speak with volleyball players, uh, softball players. Um, we just spoke to a number of different coaches. I think we got volleyball, softball, tennis, spoke to some IU media folks. There were a various um, range of IU media folks that, that we got on to talk to. Um, we had a guest who talked about Hoosier NBA players that are currently in, in the NBA and how they're doing. And we focused on that. When the TBT tournament happened for basketball, we did an entire preview for that. So it was just a wonderful wide range of things. And I actually really enjoyed it. Um, so in terms of podcasting, that was really great. And, and, you know, your second question had to do with sports media consumption. So I told you sure. I saw kind of the gamut of, of stuff um, that people came up with, which was really great. But I did kind of settle into a routine. I, would I guess say, my second know, question more was, um, I mean, in addition to, you know, the media that you've been consuming, but I guess um, the question is more directed to how all these people who are operating in sports you know, with, with, with what's been bothering me, what's been on our mind, like, why are we still doing this mm -hmm. within a pandemic? How the various sports people you've been hearing from, how they've been talking about it, like how they've been navigating, you know, proceeding onwards with sports and with the media, given this global context, how they've made peace with it, like sort of people's approaches, what you've experienced, sort of how people have aligned themselves. I'll give you an example. So the NBA 
we've seen, you know, all the different massive personal sacrifices that people made to get into the bubble. And a lot of the sort of NBA commentary around the pandemic is, well, what are the best practices, right? Like nerd commission, Adam Silver came up with a plan that let his players play, not at, not without a huge personal sacrifice, but mm-hmm. uh, at being stuck in this bubble. But at the same time, um, they got to do the sport that they loved. And one of the very interesting things personally for me for the NBA was to see the delineation between the players that really loved the pickup game. You know, let's roll out the ball, walk to the court and play every day and really thrived in that environment. Mm-hmm. And the second kind of player who they feed off of the home crowd, they like the home cooking, they like the, you know, driving to the practice facility, they like like hanging out with fans, they like, and how they suffered a bit, and it showed up in the play on the court. Uh, so that was really interesting to me. But mm-hmm. I guess that was more the question, which is how sports is to continue amidst all of this and how the different corners of people that are talking about sports that you've engaged with, that you've interviewed with your co-hosts, how they've been navigating this question of with all this happening, we're still, you know, thinking about sports and doing it. And I guess I have some answers too, but I just wanted to hear sort of what, what you've heard and how you've engaged with us, um, both yourself or all the people that you've consumed. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I would say I have seen a very broad range. So I'll kind of start with people that I was actually had the uh, privilege of talking to. I would say, you know, actually those folks were were all kind of somewhat on the same page. Um, a lot of folks that I talked to were actually spring athletes who had their season cut short. And when you ask them what it felt, um, when was the moment they found out, how did they feel? A lot of them were actually kind of in the middle of a game or they were, you know, off campus in a different town playing in an away game when they got the news that their season was canceled. And you heard from everyone. I mean, people were crying. People were scared. They had no idea what was going to happen. Seniors had no idea if they would ever get to play again. Um, And the teams definitely did what they could. I mean, I know that softball held a banquet for the seniors to at least recognize them before they got noticed that they would be able to play again. Um, Obviously coaches, they, they really kept in close contact with their teams. Like I think almost every day talking to them. Um, Some teams did virtual workouts together. So from the folks that I did get to talk to, I know the athletes, um, they were all kind of similar in how they handled it in terms of other media personalities and folks I've gotten to talk to. Um, I've seen a range, but I really appreciate how creative um, they've been. An example I'll give is assembly call. Uh, When this happened initially, um, this was right before the the NCAA tournament. And they knew that folks would really miss the tournament and want to fill that void in some way. So what they did was kind of go through every single layer of the tournament, going from, you know, the 64 teams down to, you know, the, the finals and kind of picked a game that Indiana had won. And, you know, it was anything ranging from the fifties till now picked a significant game um, and then planned a universal rewatch. So they all said, click on this link, you know, at this time on this day, we're all going to watch it and live tweet like we're watching a live game together. And I cannot tell you how much fun that was. Um, so definitely kudos to them for kind of moving along. And and so my overall consensus for folks I do know and did get to talk to, people handled it in different ways, but they made the most of what they could. Um, 
what I will say about people I, I don't know that, you know, are, are maybe more famous and had the privilege to maybe actually go to the bubble or get to do some of these things. Um, I've heard it's hard, but they make the most of it. Um, I heard a lot of journalists who were in the bubble talk about how it was difficult in the sense that you're kind of in this area. And even when you're there, you see players walking around, but you're not really supposed to be hanging out with them because you're there to do your job. You're there to socially distance. So your job is all you have to focus on because your friends and family are not there. Um, On the other hand, it is nice because you can solely focus. You don't have the distractions. You actually are probably less likely, a lot less likely to get sick in the bubble than you are in the real world. So some folks were saying, while they were so excited to go back to the real world, they were actually worried about returning to all the craziness that was happening outside. Yeah, I think you've definitely conveyed, you know, what what I was thinking about what I said about the two types of athletes um, in the bubble. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think my and, and of course, you have to also account for all the other sports that's happening without a bubble, which is mm-hmm. also kind of scary. Right. Um, but I guess my overall take, having sort of thought about this a long time and um, deciding to turn back on sports um, in the next hour, even though I have watched the NBA, but I mean, I guess college sports too, is that even in the best of times, sports gives people solace, right? It's like a distraction. It's like going to see a play, which we can't do now. It's like going to see movies, which we can't do now. Like a lot of the things that we... but going back to sort of our ethos on who who hail as a podcast what we care about is we care about the different personalities the different themes in a season how you know you have these athletes like coach Habra often says if you're you're prepping 365 days a year for those 12 slots of 4 hours and if you're lucky 13 14 or 15 if you're mm-hmm. unlucky this year maybe nine, maybe if, you know, no games in the Big Ten get postponed or canceled, kids get nine slots. And Coach Haba often says, this preparation teaches them to become men, right? Like there's something valuable in the way to prepare. And that's very similar to the bubble. It's very similar to why people, you know, and and there's just something magical about people pursuing their athletic passions and um, just excelling um, in crunch time, just, you know, and, and I think that wh- that's why we love sports, right? And so neither me or you are public health epidemiologists. We both personally have a view on the pandemic, which we've been sort of very cautious and very um, risk averse, trying not to become vectors infecting people. And I think it, we have to acknowledge that college sports college football in particular, in my personal opinion, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance in that I really enjoy watching college football, but we're asking these kids to, you know, smash their bodies against other bodies um, at risk of CTE and concussions. And there is a little bit of cognitive dissonance involved in watching the sport and enjoying it while putting young men at risk in this way. And what I said, what Coach Harbaugh said, Coach Harbaugh says, I would send my kid to play. I would let my kid to play because playing sports, preparing for um, those 12 slots, that changes people's lives and it's worth it. And I guess just to acknowledge before we go further, 
Like that is cognitive dissonance. And this year in particular, it's even stronger because we're not just putting people at risk with respect to their bodies from concussions. We're putting them at risk of catching coronavirus, which for a lot of young people, it might be fine. But given the science that we know, a lot of it is, you know, there could be heart disease, there could be long COVID, which is what people call, you know, the symptoms that persist that people don't fully understand yet. And so I just wanted to, before we dug in, and I think this is a good segue for our first segment, which is given all of that, given that we're still watching sports, we're still talking about it, and this is probably the last sort of significant um, discussion we'll have about philosophically, you know, watching sports through COVID, our point being that we're rooting for the personalities involved, right? We're rooting for the students. We're rooting for them to play the game that they love, to develop their identities as players and as individuals. And we think that there's intrinsic value to that, right? That's why Mm -hmm. we're still watching sports and we care about the personalities. And that is what our podcast is about, right? It's much more about the people and the stories. We like the X's and O's. We think that you know, that um, ties in with, you know, how people develop because it's part of the game. It's part of how they learn, part of how they practice, how they execute. That's all related. The X's and O's are related to the discipline, but it's the discipline that we care about. And so so that's why our first segment, given all of this, that we're still doing it, is one hope and one fear for our team um, in this, the Big Ten, our team, given all of this, that we're still deciding to proceed. Um, do you agree, Kathy, that we're, you know, that's why we exist um, and, and why we're doing this? And if you would share sort of what you think generally about the philosophical direction, and then and then you can like go into our one hope and one fear, our first segment. Sounds good. Jeff, I think you laid it out really, really well about why we're doing this. I mean, of course, you and I we, you know, you and I have talked a lot about just what's happened and the disease itself. And I think you and I are both on the same page that safety is the number one thing. Um, We never want anyone to feel unsafe, feel uncomfortable, to really put themselves at risk. Um, I trust that the Big Ten is doing everything they can to keep folks as safe as possible. Um, And so, you know, I... I like that the fact that, you know, the stories, the personalities, I mean, this is the livelihood. This is the training that people have done their entire lives for these moments that are coming up. And I don't want to take that away from them. So I'm glad that they're getting the platform to play. But I also am glad that, you know, if people want to opt out, they can, um, because this is something that is risky. It's not 100% risk-free and it goes beyond the the concussion risks and stuff that Jeff mentioned. So um, you know, I'm rooting for the teams to play, but I am also on on the you know the fence where if any moment, if it seems like an outbreak's about to occur or someone gets sick on the team, then I'm okay with a game being canceled because um, at at the end of the day, safety is the most important. And I think one thing that we share with other a lot of other podcasts that we listen to, Jeff, is that um, as long as the games happen, we'll talk about them. We'll talk about the personalities and the, the things that we love and that are happening. Um, and we're rooting for everyone. Um, but on that note, I do want to go into our first segment, One Hope and One Fear. And I will start with Indiana. So my hope, I mean, this should be no surprise to Jeff, but he got so annoyed with me last year when I said that we were going to shock the world. And I and said, I, like... <laughs> 
if the world isn't watching, how can you shock the world? It's similar <laughs> to like what you said about what I think when you guys hit six wins, Coach mm-hmm. Allen was so emotional and you were so emotional. Yes. Was that against Nebraska? It was against Nebraska. Yeah. Yes. And so and also there's the Nebraska rivalry, which is my favorite new rivalry in the Big Ten, by the way. And mm-hmm. so we'll talk, you'll, you know, you'll tell us all about that. But I just wanted to tell this story, which is that game when we were watching Nebraska was a typical <laughs> IU game where IU somehow just wants to make life super hard for its fans, right? And so, yeah. um, and so, uh, <laughs> and so you were just clutching, literally clutching, like clutching the table, clutching my thighs, just clutching <laughs> so yeah. hard. And I was like, just you know, lighten up. And you just really wanted to get um, the six wins. And so you mm-hmm. were just as emotional. And then after, well, well, we had, because this is a very hoo-hoo-hell thing, we like want to um, follow the personalities. So we watched a lot of different coach conferences all year. Um, yes. Be it like our coaches, be it other coaches, just coaches conferences in general. Like we're so nerdy, we would like even break out the YouTube to find the coach conferences. So I pull up the Tom Ellen one and he's <laughs> crying, right? Like he's like, you're crying. He's crying. And you're like, oh my God, are people going to like, like judge coach Ellen for weeping? And you were like, and I was like, um, like nobody's watching this. Like you're, you're the only person, maybe you and his wife like care about this, like his kids. And so, and so similar to shock the world, my response was um, like, if the world isn't watching, like, who's being shocked uh but yeah but sorry for the interruption like keep keep going on no it's so funny um I you know on Twitter when you kind of go into like trending for you or or trending I thought Tom Allen would be in like the top 10 um but that, that did not happen but on the shock the world note what I mean by that I really want what we call like a signature win this year. And I think either beating Michigan, Penn State, or Ohio State will do that. Wisconsin too. I mean, I I would love to, um, but definitely one of the three teams in the East that always seem to get us, um, I would love that. And on top of that, I would say even Michigan or Ohio State because they both have a 24-game winning streak against us. Um, So that is my big hope for this season. And I – and I will say um, a lot of commentators like on the Michigan in, in the state of Michigan, because I consume a lot of sort of Michigan sports columnists mm-hmm. and ESPN. I saw today that some people predict IU coming out of the Big Ten East, IU being the team that plays Ohio, Ohio State. Um, well, no, no, not coming out of the Big Ten East. That would be nuts because Ohio State, but IU being the number two team in the Big Ten East. Uh, after Ohio State, so many predictions that say that. Um, so, so you should be proud. But I do want to read this choice snippet from one of my favorite columns, as you know, on MGo Blog, mm-hmm. uh, by Bry Mack uh, on Twitter. Who he goes by Bisbee, uh, but but this is the description from IU. So we mentioned, I mentioned the last time Michigan played, and so I will tell you the last time that Indiana played since we're talking about where we left off. Um, Are you ready for it? I am. Bring it. Okay. Here's the description and the recap and the preview for the game versus Indiana. Last year for Indiana was what the kids call meta. It was every poor damn Indiana, which is like a meme on the Michigan blogs, 
because of the 24 game uh, streak. It was every poor damn Indiana game stretched out into one season long effort. After some early season success, the goal of being the first nine win Indiana team since 1967. And of course we were, uh, we were wonderfully invited to the people who invented hashtag nine Indiana mm-hmm. tailgate. And you can tell a story about that after this. Why don't you tell the story after I finish reading this, you can tell that story. Um, but let me finish reading this because it's wonderful. And for most of the season, it looked like the prophecy would come to fruition. And you're going to tell us about the people who made the prophecy and how it was like meeting them. Indiana was sitting on eight wins and a 13-point lead over Tennessee with under five minutes left in the Gator Bowl. I just wanted to you to remember that juicy fact. Hashtag nine win Indiana. Or as my lovely co-host says, hashtag nine win Indiana. <laughs> was um, why? Why do you have to bring up such such tough moments when <laughs> we're getting excited for kickoff? I just want to remind you of remind you of the last time we saw them play. Because um, I told my sad story, so I'm telling your sad story. I guess that's not fair, but after I tell a sad story, you can tell a happy one where we met the nine Indiana people. But hashtag all right. Nine Windiana, I'll finish quickly. Hashtag Nine Windiana was, at that moment, five minutes left in the Gator Bowl. According to ESPN's win probability chart, more than a 97% likelihood of winning and attaining the prophecy. Alas, poor damn Indiana. Yep. I mean, you're you're not an Indiana team unless you lose hashtag Nine Windiana by a point in the last five minutes of a game. Still. Last sentence, and then tell us about the lovely home field, meeting Kyle, the Corey people, Crimson Corey. Still, hashtag 8-win Indiana was a nice consolation prize, as it was Indiana's first 8-win season since 1993. Congratulations. Well done. Other than a rather inexplicable loss to Michigan State, in which... Indiana surrendered 40 points. I was so upset with that because I bought like a good yes. luck beer. I was ready. We mm-hmm. watched that game. It was such a wonderful night. We could still go to bars at that time. Um, other than that game, which I think you guys were supposed to win, the yeah. Hoosiers beat the team that they were supposed to beat and only occasionally tried to rip the still beating hearts out of their own fans for no discernible reason. This is why I love Opponent Watch, the column. But, um, <laughs> but it's also why people think you know, Tom Ellen is so competent and going to build on that success. So overall, I think it is a very good spot that that's where you were left. But uh, tell us about tell us about meeting the prophecy, meeting the prophecy people. Yeah, I mean, so Nine Windiana originated from um, you mentioned one of their names, Kyle Robbins, and I'm blanking on a couple. There's, there's a guy named Chris and some other guy. But I think there were three guys who sat in a bar in Indianapolis and just kind of drunkenly said, like went through the the list, the schedule of games and said, okay, like they were making predictions kind of like we're going to do in a little bit here. Yeah, I was just about to say, um, we're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they were like, whoa, like there's a possibility for, for a nine win season here. 
And I think they just kind of drunkenly came up with the hashtag and, you know, Kyle put it on the column, Crimson Quarry, and it just started trending and started this whole movement. And they at the time, um, because I read a story about this, they thought that it was an absolute joke. And it wasn't actually, it was after that six win game when Tom um, Allen was crying, where they were like, wow, this can actually happen. Um, So that's a cool story. But outside of that. Oh, um, wait, wait. But the, the very cool part is they invited you to tailgate with them. Yeah, so they put out an invite for folks to come meet them um, for before the Michigan game in Bloomington uh, to tailgate with them. So I think they teamed up with Home Home Field Apparel, um, and then they they t- gave out the location of where they would be. And so Jeff and I go, and I remember it was pouring down rain; it was freezing. Um, but we managed to find them. They had a giant flag waving, a bunch of good booze, of course, and, um, you know, some food and whatnot. And and we got to meet the infamous Kyle, who doesn't anymore, but held the keys to the Crimson Quarry, uh, you know, site on Twitter. And so... And they were um, as awesome. cool as their writing. Like, they were definitely, oh, like... yeah. They come across in their writing as, like, a bunch of drunk dudes. And yeah. they... I think they were... They are a bunch of drunk dudes, but they were like less drunk and more like sharp and cool and smart. And it was just really fun to meet yeah. these like avid fans. And this is when you were just, you know, tiptoeing into IU media. But I think I can sort of consider you IU media now, right? That's very nice of you. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, with all that you're doing. I mean, follow Kathy on Twitter. Um, can you uh, say your handles and online if people want to access your work, like your network and all that? Sure. Um, I you can find me on Twitter at who who Kathy. So um, who who Kathy K A T H I E, and then my Instagram is at Korean Running Girl. And you also have a, a network. Oh yeah, um, the other um, podcast in your network. Yeah. So who's your Heartland um, podcast? So you can find us on Twitter at IU Who's Your Heartland um, on Twitter. Great. So yeah, so you met all these people and it was great. I just wanted to, you know, and, and of course the game was, as I called it, I called a 24 point line and that game ended up 39 to 14, uh, which, you know, we can talk about, but just mm-hmm. giving you some sort of highlights from last season. Um, so I guess my one hope, and I think our, just looking at the show notes, our one fear is pretty similar, but my one hope, um, I kind of already alluded to it, which is I want sort of players to self-actualize in the ways and be able to play the sport that they loved. I think one of the really great things, Kathy, that you mentioned, uh, which I found really interesting in your description of your sort of sports media consumption over the past six or seven months is just how heartbreaking athletes who want to play the sport who can't, right? And so I've been reading Mm -hmm. a lot of balanced against all the risks that they're taking. You have all these people who like they declared for the NFL draft, but then now they're undeclaring so that because they just for the love of the game. And so just being able to do what they love, I think that's my one hope. I think overall, well, we'll get to this in a second. Um, for my one hope for like Michigan is that Michigan is actually in year six of Jim Harbaugh's contract the last year. And uh, mm-hmm. there are some rumors, like every year there are rumors. Uh, some people have bet money on this being his last year as coach, um, but they say that all the time. It's kind of like a recruiting tactic. We're sort of in a rebuilding year and we'll uh, get into it. Like, um, But so my hope, I don't really have um, particularly high hopes for, they're not particularly low either, but 
with respect to uh, Michigan's performance on the field, I don't have really strong views uh, one way or the other, um, but um, or, or strong hopes. Um, but my one fear is um, that people uh, get sick uh, permanently. Like if they get sick and they're asymptomatic or if they're sick and if they get their families sick or coaches or all the, you know, a football program has a lot of people involved, right? And they're trying to stay distanced and shrink the programs, like the bubble, you know, be more efficient. But I'm just worried that one team is going to give it to the other team and Mm -hmm. um, people are going to get hurt. That's my one fear. Yeah, I think that's very fair, Jeff. And our fears were were the same. Um, Just, you know, having this, this disease wipe out any players, any coaches, any of the staff. Um, and as you said, like if it's something where people are asymptomatic or if they get better, um, I mean, even at that point, you just want them to isolate as soon as possible so they don't spread it. But the worst thing that can happen is that this, you know, it, it in, they endure kind of any long lasting or permanent effects of this. So really hoping that doesn't happen. Um, that's definitely the biggest fear on our minds. And so just hoping that, you know, folks will stay as safe as they can. And, and, you know, we all just kind of take it a day at a time as we see what unfolds. So let's turn to the team, um, our second statement, which uh, our second segment, which we're calling this not super creatively, the state of the team, which is what the team looks like um, if the team were to take the field today. And I think this year in particular, people always say, and that's why like, teams have, you know, startup games where they pay a cupcake some money to tune it up, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this year, we've seen from the NFL, and we've seen from college football, like, I can't believe, like, this week might be like week eight or something. It's like wild. There's been eight weeks of college football and we're starting. But we've seen that in the NFL and in the college football, teams that come out for the first week are, it's just, no one knows. It's like Mm -hmm. really weird. Like, you know, if you haven't practiced, like it's more than rust because this whole on off losing players, people not being able to play, like not being able to practice or install their schemes. Like it's just total wildcard. We don't know. Um, But so our segment um, is intended to cover sort of uh, it's a four part segment. So the first segment is like basically the highlights. If you were to think about this Michigan or this Indiana team, what are the headlines? Um, and then second, the offense. Um, we're going to talk about the pass game, the run game. And then on defense, we're going to mirror that. We're going to talk about stopping the other team's run game and stopping the other team's pass game and whether or not you know our defenses are nimble. If someone shows us a pass look, can we defend uh, if it turns out to be an option and turns out to be run? Or... Both of us are sort of working um, with love to um, with love to coach Don Brown and coach Kalen DeBoer. We're trying to learn more about the defenses and to appreciate um, their uh, good work. You right? mean Kalen Womack, right? Oh, um, yeah, because DeBoer Womack's like taken over, right? Is that right? Yeah. Well, yeah, DeBoer yeah. was offense, and he left. Oh, 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 right, 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 right. So, so they're just going to see, like, to- I'm totally wrong, by the way. But yeah, yeah, no, no, <laughs> Womack. Cause, and the reason why I got confused is because I think Womack's the young guy, and yes. it's still really Tom Ellen's defense, right? It's just that Tom yeah. Ellen hired him, gave him power, because Tom Ellen was saying, 
with head coach. I'm like working 25 hour days yep. in order to do the job. I need a young guy to help me. Right. Yes. That he was yeah, staying yeah. up all night. Yep. That's right. And DeBoer, it was funny because he re- replaced DeBoer. And so we were joking yeah. about how only one letter change and it's still a run run pass. It's all coming back to me. I'm like, I'm rusty like the team. Just like I said, teams are like <laughs> totally rusty. I'm the same way, right? Um, so, so yeah, so the defense and then special teams, basically like kicking, college hashtag college kickers, punting, return. So we're going to go through each aspect of the team. But so why don't you give us um, the state of the team? And just the highlights, sort of what you think about this IU team. Sure. So what I think of the team, if I had to kind of taking any kind of uncontrollable factors out of it, right? You typically have injuries and this year you've got people getting sick. So I think we're a hashtag five Windiana team. Um, I do think out of the schedule, if you look at it, Rutgers, MSU, Maryland, Purdue, those are wins we should have. And I think we will have that one show-stopping shock the world win. Um, I think that the team is going to be even better. Um, we're, we're not as young as we were when Tom Allen first started. I, I think last year was amazing, but there were a few games. I think you alluded to a few of them, Jeff, like that MSU game, the Gator Bowl, even against um, Penn State, where we just kind of made some silly mistakes that if we had fixed those, we easily could have taken those victories. Um, so I think just kind of stopping turnovers and, and silly mistakes. Um, the fact when the Big Ten first canceled, um, everyone was so disappointed because this was the year that everyone was saying would be Indiana's best year yet. And I'm still holding on to that. I'm super excited. Um, the one thing that was kind of, you know, sad was Kalen DeBoer leaving. He was our offense, offensive coordinator who went to um, Fresno State. But, you know, you can never blame a guy. You should always root for the guy to kind of get that head coaching job. And we have someone named Nick Sheridan now who's who was him. a Michigan quarterback and a DeBoer mm-hmm. disciple. Right. I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm really excited to see what he does because he's got some good weapons at his forefront. Um, that's great. Um, so that's your, that's the team preview for you. Uh, I guess I've, I've like kind of just a little bit of the bits and pieces that I've heard. As I said, everyone's like super complimentary of Indiana and really excited to see what you guys can do, especially with the healthy, um, Penix, um, -hmm. really, really exciting, but we'll get to that on the offensive side of the ball. I would say from Michigan, uh, and then you can tell me sort of what you've heard on Michigan. Um, I would say for Michigan, this is definitely a uh, rebuilding year. And so we'll talk about sort of all the sides of the ball, um, the three sides of the ball. But the headline has to be new quarterback. So Mm -hmm. Shea Patterson had a disappointing 2019. I think he played well, except for the five games where we played ranked opponents. So (laughs) somehow his... um, his performance just didn't match up to the other teams and he wasn't, he didn't take the sort of senior leap that everyone was expecting a five-star quarterback to take. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for why that people guess, um, but it might be that, and, and we'll give Jim Harbaugh his sixth year to see, because I think people are saying Joe Milton is probably in terms of raw athleticism, in terms of raw potential might be, at least, I mean, obviously not like Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck is like one in a thousand of quarterbacks, right? But we're saying, people are saying that Joe Milton might be the more most sort of raw ability 
um, quarterback that Jim Harbaugh's had at Michigan. And he, cause he's had several transfers that are serviceable um, like Jake Rudock and Wilton Spate who really, you know, tall giant people that are serviceable. And I guess Joe Milton is a big dude. He's like six five, but he's tall and athletic. Um, so I guess the headline is it's a transition year. Um, we lost Nico Collins on uh, our sort of best wide receiver, which both me and you marveled at, you know, in the mm-hmm. IU game where he could just catch everything. Uh, and then on defense, we lost sort of our defensive stopper, um, Ambry Thomas. Um, and that was sort of a big loss on that end. Um, so, you know, rebuilding year. I think the defense will always be good because of Don Brown. But on that end, yeah. and, and we'll dig into it more, really it's the big question is always, can we step, stop Ohio State? It seems like the defense is good, except for that one game. And a lot of Michigan fans are understandably just so upset with that. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, we could, we'll get into the season preview and the digging into it. I think there's some mystery about Harbaugh's like last year of his contract. But definitely the theme is changing quarterbacks and potentially a transition year. Um, and it's actually funny. I read this column, uh, and this is my last thought. I read this column, which said, well, a lot of people were excited about the transition year and all of Michigan's prospects coming in 2021, but because everyone has one more year of eligibility, mm-hmm. which changes the whole recruiting picture. So it kind of negates our ad- advantage in 2021, which means that we kind of have to perform better this year. Um, and so I'm all for people getting one more year of eligibility. And in fact, the NCAA enacted the Harbaugh rule, which lets everybody transfer once, no questions asked, which practically speaking was what was happening anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Most people were getting waivers. Um, so, so yeah, so the transition year doesn't look good. Um, Ohio State is like a total tank, so we're not going to beat them, I don't think. Um, but so that's the headline, I guess. What have you heard about Michigan? And then, and then you can get into the offense. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've really heard the same things, Jeff. I mean, I think Joe Milton being the, um, the starting quarterback, there was kind of that, um, quarterback, uh, competition that folks were talking about and they thought would play out with Dylan McCaffrey. I mean, I think with McCaffrey deciding to transfer, Um, My guess is that Milton was probably chosen. Otherwise, I wouldn't see why McCaffrey would transfer um, at this point in the game. So excited to see what Milton can do. And Jeff, you and I actually kind of saw it. Um, I forget who Michigan was playing at that one bar. Do you remember? I think that was uh, crunch time. That was like garbage time against Rutgers, right? You're talking about the um, the uh, last minute pass to Giles Jackson. Yes, where you made me stay because you're like, I think he's going to throw another bullet. And what do you know? He did. Yeah, no, it, it, how it was, it was like um, they they were putting in Milton. And at that point, Giles Jackson was our like third string wide receiver. And they put both of them in and it was garbage time. We were up by a lot. And I was like, let's stay at the bar because I think the next play is going to be Joe Milton throwing a bullet to Giles Jackson. If I were Gaddis, that's what I would call. And um, it, it happened. And, uh, yeah. you know, I've been calling some of the plays uh, recently. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, it was, it, I mean, you always find it kind of crazy that I can call the next play. But 
if it were if you were a betting lady, which I know you are, um, <laughs> it's the most high percentage possible bet, right? <laughs> like that's the play you run. So it's not really, um, you know, it's just betting on that. But um, but yeah. So okay, thanks for sharing that. So why don't you tell us about how about we split it up? Um, let's do I use pass game, and then I'll do Michigan's pass game, uh, and then and then we can talk about Michigan's run game, and then. I use run game. So we'll do, okay. we'll do it like a snake draft order. Um, okay. All right, go ahead. All right. That sounds good. Well, I'm going to start off with the quarterback. Um, so we're so excited that Penix is back, um, not injured. And, you know, I'm thrilled with the fact that he gained 15 pounds. So he has like 15 more pounds of muscle now to help with the in- in- injury, what I call made of glass thing. Uh, last year, Jeff hated my joke about Penix being made of glass and us having Fred Glass um, as our AD, but that is not the case anymore because we have Scott Dolson now, so he doesn't have to hear it this year. Um, I think as long as the offensive line can protect him, Penix will do his job. Um, In terms of options he has, in terms of the pass game, I mean, WAP is the clear option, right? He can just fire a bullet to WAP. WAP will do what he needs to do, but I think WAP already has a lot of attention. Um, Do you know um, who, like... So Wop's the slot receiver, right? Like who's your like mm-hmm. wide out receiver? Um, I'll be honest, I'm not really positive. Like I know the few other receivers we have, but yeah, yeah. Um, Who will you run through them? Like or are just like the names so I can Yeah, them? I have just the names. So we've got um Ty Freifogel. We've okay. got um He's Marshall. a big dude, right? Like Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then we've got Ellis as David Ellis as well. Okay. Okay. Because Wop's gonna be in the slot. Uh we'll we'll like sort of research and watch this mm-hmm. a bit more. Um, but didn't mean to surprise you there, but we'll, we'll see sort of, I, I guess the question, which we'll follow up on sort of our next podcast, um, like who are WAP's other options that are, sorry, who are Penix's other options that are not WAP? Yep. Yep. And he's got a few other, um, receivers that he can pass to. And then obviously, you know, Pendershot, um, our tight end is still there as well. Um, he will be able to play even though going through kind of some, personal things last year and yeah so- yeah and that was sort of what i was going to ask you which is is your go-to play going to be the dink and dunk uh with Pendershot? which is i mean people are really excited about Peyton ramsey uh up in evanston uh, too yeah. bad you can't go up to watch him because that's sort of what our plan was going to be uh even though you had that wonderful tour of evanston and all the facilities like this vip tour um yeah. which is covered on your blog um, but, um, but yeah, we, they're really excited about him and that was your go-to dink and dunk play. Right. And, yeah. and I guess one thing we'll have to watch is, um, one thing that we'll have to watch is, and I kind of hit this out of order cause you, you're, you're taught, you, you have this list at Freifogel, Marshall and Ellis. Um, but, um, one thing that we'll have to watch is in addition to like WAP's other, sorry, Penix's other targets, uh, whether or not Penix is also skilled at the dink and dunk game. Do you remember, like, is he skilled at the dink and dunk game? Oh, I don't remember. I, I didn't know if Peyton was doing that because Hendershot was so good and reliable, or I hate saying this because, or maybe it was kind of a noodle arm thing. Um, <laughs> the noodle arm. Will you tell us about the noodle arm? Let's just say that. Because <laughs> we saw that at Ohio State, right? Like, what was the experience, like, just seeing it? I mean, in the stands, you could really tell. So, 
I mean, I love Peyton Ramsey to death, but he would telegraph pretty much to to everyone. So not just him, like his teammates, but the defense of the opposing team and the people in the stands. He could would pretty much telegraph where he was going to throw to. And at the same time, he didn't have the strongest arm. Um, and so the the throws weren't very um, they weren't bullets, um, so they were kind of easy to pick off by other teams. And so what worked for our team was kind of doing the dink and dunk short passes to um, Peyton Hendershot, and he would be able to take it, you know, several yards to get the gains we needed. And you know that ended up working out with Peyton. And so I think Penix can probably make some bigger plays, um, but I mean, Pendershot's always there as an option as well if we need him. But yeah, I think. Part of it is, too, like, I wasn't sure whether – because in my head, now that I think about it from our game at Ohio State, I was thinking, you know, the the, the telegraphing and the noodle arm were two separate problems, mm-hmm. right? And I, I don't know – like, it's definitely they called the dink and dunks because um, when DeBoard was around two years ago, they wouldn't let Payne Ramsey throw more than 20 yards. Yeah. And I thought, you know, maybe that's DeBoard being his conservative self. But then after watching the noodle arm, I'm like, no, it's because he's a noodle arm. But I, I don't know how much the noodle arm causes him to telegraph this pass. Does that make sense? Like, because he is a noodle arm, so if he's going to do something longer, he has to, like, look for longer and really charge up, which is why maybe the noodle arm causes the telegraphing. Well, that's, that's what not- I was going to say. I think either way, when it comes to long-term passing, he either takes his time telegraphing it, and on top of that, he has the noodle arm. So because yeah. of both those things, I think Pendershot's the better option for me. Yeah, but but I but yeah, but I think you know maybe maybe my latest thinking is maybe the noodle arm causes him to like look for longer and hesitate. So maybe the noodle arm causes yeah. the telegraphing because I had thought yeah. that it was two problems, but now that you say that, so Michigan's past game. So you've heard me talk about this. Um, Joe Milton has a bullet arm. Um, he's going to fire bullets. He's really strong. He can hoist it. We don't have Nico and our sort of mm-hmm. our wide out receiver. A number one um, is Ronnie Bell, and Ronnie Bell, I think he gets a lot of hatred from the Michigan fan base because he had a couple drops, including the famous drop that we saw with Penn State, like literally yeah. losing the game. Uh, which it wasn't his fault because I was just reading my friend's a high school coach, and he tweeted. You know, if you let it go to the last play, and it, 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 you're not losing because of that last play. You're losing because of the myriad of aggregate decisions and plays and execution that happened before that last play. There are like hundreds of plays in the game. So it's not Ronnie Bell's fault that they were so close, right? Mm-hmm. And so so you got a lot of hate. The other part is a lot of Michigan fans are like star chasers. So they're like, oh, he got three stars. He's, you know, not a five-star blue chip recruit. But that's because Ronnie Bell played basketball. And so he was like a basketball recruit. And so he didn't really go on, do all the things that the recruiting services nowadays require you to get a four or five-star. So I think he's pretty athletic. He is one of my favorite players personally. Um, and then there are, I think there are a lot of zippy guys. So you saw sort of Giles Jackson. He's like so fast, right? And then you have another zippy guy, uh, Mike Samer still. So we've lost like DPJ and Nico Collins, mm-hmm. who are your sort of WAP type players, right? 6'3", can catch everything. But now we have more Gaddis looking guys that are like zippy and fast that can sort okay. of run places. I can help with the speed and space. 
Exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> so we have a lot of Gaddis type guys. So the difference being like, they're like five, nine and fast and not like six, three and tall. Right. Mm -hmm. um, different kind of receiver. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I think a lot of hype because they're so fast and they've been practicing with Milton. And so if that sort of chemistry works, uh, then our pass game is going to be pretty electric to watch. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's going to be a different from the past game that we saw at the IU game where we talked about this on our podcast too, but we had said, Oh, like um, our how's I use secondary defense, which we'll get to in a second. How's I use secondary letting all these people go. And, and, and even your brother, right. Your brother was complaining and I was telling you, no, no, I think Walmax actually coached them well fundamentally. And mm -hmm. then if you like look at the replays and zoom in, like the secondary is, They've turned around, they're playing the ball, they're trying to, you know, really do, but really they're not shaped or as fast as Tywin Mullen. And so, like, the 6 3 receiver is just bigger than them. And so they couldn't do anything, right? And Shea Patterson was hitting the spots that day. Um, so it's going to be a different looking pass game, if that makes sense. Yep, that makes sense. Okay, so our run game. So, for once, we have, this is a big problem that Michigan had, which was we had no left or right tackles and i was we we an ongoing joke in this podcast is that we're gonna feed <laughs> kathy chong and make her play a left tackle for michigan um, <laughs> but so we had no left tackle or right tackle and this year we have good two good tackles if you don't look at um in our line you know there's some transition in the line but the middle of the line the center is going to be pretty good um we always lose like an nfl caliber center and the center is really key because he directs the line to block gaps and things like that, opening up gaps for the running back. So the center is sort of your quarterback on like the offensive line, if that makes sense. And mm -hmm. our center, we always have this NFL center and he leaves for the NFL. Um, and then we have a freshman that comes in. So I think our center is going to be good. And we have tackles if they don't get COVID. Um, our reserves are sort of unproven. But for once in the Harbaugh era, we have tackles. And so behind the line, we have a stable of running backs. So we have Zach Charbonnet, star freshman, who's going to have more weight and more strength on him, hopefully more stability. I think it was definitely a mistake to run him like 40 times in the Army game um, and get him hurt. Uh, that was a big mistake. Um, but uh, he's hopefully going to be healthy. We have Hassan Haskins, who's sort of like, um, I guess he's not necessarily a the two sort of stereotypes of um, backs and it's sort of like, you're about to talk about this too, but the two stereotypes are you have this sort of pounded out sort of third and short, get the yards, strong guy, push through the middle, run a draw play mm -hmm. back. And then you have the run around in space back. Right. And part of what makes a running back in modern day offenses successful is if you have a running back who can also block for your quarterback, then you can run some more complex exotic option plays because then the running back can block and you can have different locks. And so Charbonnet was a good blocker. Um, Charbonnet's sort of, so those are sort of the three metrics, right? Can you pound it? Can you run around really fast? Or can you set blocks for the quarterback uh, on an option play? And Charbonnet was sort of like a 4.5 stars on all three of these aspects, right? So he's your, you know, star back um and he's only going to be better he was like that as a freshman just by getting hurt mm -hmm. hassan haskins um i would say he's similar in that he's not really like a pound it back 
um, he's really good at finding the gaps and running through. Um, so hopefully I look forward to seeing that. Uh, and then we have Chris Evans come back. So he had some academic issues, um, but he was allowed back on the team. And Chris Evans is sort of your, um, sort of your uh, running a screen, running, you know, plays that where you give the ball to Chris Evans and he runs all the way around the line and he's still faster than everybody else. That's the kind of back he is. And so we really want to see some of those plays um, with him. So those are the three backs. I think it's definitely the strongest running back stable that Michigan has had in a while. Um, So we'll see what they do. Although, as you know, uh, we were watching the Alabama game together and uh, I was sad because Najee Harris had enrolled at Michigan and then went to Alabama. Uh, The I'm not supposed to say this on this podcast, but I'm going to say it anyway uh, because Alabama gave him bad cash. And so he went (laughs) and, um, and so, and he is, I was joking with you. He's like worth every cent. Right. And we were watching and I was like, okay, next play, Najee is going to run it and take it to the end. And you're like, oh my God, how, how how do we, you know, how do you know that he was going to do that? It was like, cause that's the highest percentage play. Like, you know, they're going to do that all the time. Uh, So none of the backs are going to be like that. Um, But it's going to be strong. Uh, how about you? How about are you? How does it fit with the model that we just talked about? I mean, I think in terms of um, running backs, we've got you know two very strong key players that we know will will produce. So obviously Stevie Scott, one of our favorites, Mike DeVord's favorites when he was um, calling plays for IU. Um, you know, he's uh, he actually has like. 1,982 yards rushing for his first two years. So, and has five and a half yards per carry average over his last six games of 2019. So um, he's great. I mean, I'm definitely rooting for Stevie Scott. Uh, Samson James is the other one. And so he actually played the, like a reverse role behind Scott in 2019 for most of the season, um, you know, until like Scott was injured for a little bit. And so Samson James is one who actually put his name in the transfer portal um, and then took it out. So he will be back. And I think these two key players will definitely, like we know they're going to be good. Um, I think outside of that, we have a couple other names. Um, there's David Ellis. Um, so he's actually a running back and a wide receiver. Um, on yeah, the so he's chart. probably like how I describe Chris Evans, right? Like a yeah. fast guy can run around and you can pass him yes. the ball. Yep. And we have, there's a guy named Aurel Loy who um, was an IU's outstanding walk-on player in 2019. And so, you know, I think with those two guys um, and we have a couple uh, newer guys as well. There's a guy named Tim Baldwin, Charlie Spiegel. Um, It's kind of like, we will see how they do. Um, You know, I think that it'll be interesting to see, like we've got our two front runners, but then how do you weave kind of the other guys in? Um, I think it all kind of comes down to as well. Um, how the offensive line um, does and how much space there is to run. And so we will see. I mean, I think um, I'm so glad that Stevie and uh, um, Samson are back. Um, but then just kind of seeing how the newer folks click in will will be questionable and telling. And is it right? Am I remembering correctly that Stevie had like an absolute monster breakout freshman season? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then last year was a little bit hampered. Like we were wondering where he was uh, some of the games because yeah. yeah, we really liked his the season that we saw. I think it was actually that 2017 memorable game at the rock 
Um, that was when Mike DeBoer was utilizing Stevie up a lot. Um, and then, but, 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 but even though Stevie didn't have um, necessarily his best season for her sophomore year, Samson James really stepped up. So you guys mm-hmm. didn't really feel a drop off. Is that, is yeah. that a good, a good description of the running yeah. back sort of what you're bringing into the, into the yeah. season? Yep. And that's why when Samson James first put his name in the transfer portal, everyone was, was kind of freaking out a little bit. And it's such a privilege, right, to have um, like two backs, like two feature backs, not just one. Mm-hmm. It's such a privilege. Yeah. And so it might actually work out for your season this year to have um, to, to have that uh, g- given, given like Stevie had a great year and then Samson had a great year and hopefully both of them have like even better years uh, at the same time, which is such a privilege. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. All right, so we're at the one-hour mark. Um, do you want to take a quick break before we get to defense special teams um, and then the rest of our podcast? That sounds good. All right, uh, we'll sign off, and then we'll take a quick break. Okay. <laughs> 